Shalom and welcome to the Vibe of the Tribe podcast from JewishBoston.com. I'm Miriam Anzevin, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Dan Seligson. Dan, we're doing something a little different today. We're talking about someone else's podcast. That's right, Miriam. We would only steer you toward a must-listen, and we share the same sky as one of those pods. It's hosted by Boston-area native Rachel Cerati, and growing up, Rachel knew the story of Hannah, her grandmother, or at least a version of it. She knew that she was a Holocaust survivor and that she had lost her entire family. After Hannah's death in 2010, Rachel embarked on a decade-long quest to better understand Hannah's experience. Rachel collected Hannah's diaries and writings, plus hours of audio recordings Hannah produced about her experiences. Then Rachel traveled to Europe to find the descendants of the people who had saved her grandmother's life during the war. Then she moved in with them. What began as a family history project became a photojournalism project that a podcast released in September called We Share the Same Sky, presented by the USC Shoah Foundation. The narrative podcast contains Hannah's audio testimony, as well as the story of Rachel's journey in Hannah's footsteps. It's a story that takes a number of turns, including the sudden death of Rachel's husband in the midst of the project. The podcast represents a new way of teaching the Holocaust. The series will conclude later this month with a release of curriculum materials created by Echoes and Reflections, a Holocaust education program. We're joined on this episode by Rachel Cerati to talk to us about her important work. Rachel, thank you for joining us on the Vibe of the Tribe today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here. You describe that you felt you spent more time with your grandmother, Hannah, after she was dead. How connected did you feel with her throughout this journey? Um, I mean, incredibly connected. Um, you know, it, it sounds a little crazy, but uh, her life and my life have become very entwined as one. That was not the intention when I went out. Um, and I will say I was close with her while she was alive. But, you know, since she passed away, I've just been deeply embedded in her story. And where her story has taken me has been an incredible journey and an incredible surprise. And so with each of those relationships that I've built, because of her story, she lives within them also. And so she ends up being the backbone to a lot of my closest relationships in my life, which is quite remarkable. So yeah, I mean, I I just can't separate her story from my story at this point. So tell us about the decision to use the medium of podcast as the primary way to tell Hannah's story. And in addition, what does the title of the podcast mean? Well, so I'll tease a little bit to the last episode to find out what the title of the podcast means. And I will say it's probably not at all what you think. Well, at least where it comes from is probably not at all what you would expect. But in terms of using a podcast to tell this story, this is actually a surprise to me as well. I began this project in 2009, served just as a family history adventure, and then I was pursuing a career in photojournalism, so when I started traveling, I had my sights set on a photojournalism project, whatever that was going to mean at the outcome. Um, also a writer, so my my big idea was that this was going to culminate in a book, which is which is also forthcoming. But then when I began collaborating with USC Shoah Foundation, we I had gone out to LA about a um, little over a year ago now to talk with them. You know, how do we get the next generation involved in the archive that they have, which is incredible. It's over 
55,000 testimonies um, from survivors and witnesses of the Holocaust and other genocides. And you were saying, you know, all of this stuff is recorded. Our, you know, our grandparents and great-grandparents have left behind this wealth of an archive for us to dig into and to interpret and to retell. And on this project, my co-producer, Erica Lance, who is an incredible storyteller and has had a lot of experience in the podcast world, that's that's where she she came from as a storyteller from audio. And she, along with um, another producer over at WBUR, Franny Kartoth, they produced a three-part multimedia series about me and a collaborator of mine, Julie Lindahl, who is the granddaughter of an SS officer who's written her own book about her own journey with family history. And that was published at the end of 2017, and it just blew my mind because, first of all, I had never heard somebody else tell my story, and that was um, quite impactful for me to hear how somebody else would choose to tell it, but also to feel how visceral audio was. And so a seed got planted. And then when I was, you know, talking with USC Shoah Foundation about, you know, what can we do together? I said, you know, I have all of this media. Why don't we make a podcast? And that was a little over a year ago. And so um, all of 2019 has been me in my apartment working on this and Erica where she lives working on this. And now it's here and people are listening to it. The hours and hours of Hannah's audio testimony were an incredible resource for you and for us, the listeners, to hear. It is remarkable. Given her writings, the audio, and the rest of the Holocaust history you pulled into this work, how did you figure out the narrative or shape of the podcast? <laughs> a lot of writing and rewriting and rewriting and then some more rewriting. To be honest, I did not have that audio of my grandmother until recent years. And that was also one of the catalysts for being able to do a podcast because when I interviewed her, so this whole project began in 2009 when I sat down with her and just said, you know, tell me your story. I want to write it down. I'm going to be a journalist one day. And your story seems amazing. And um, we all, I also knew she was at the end of her life and wanted to spend some one-on-one -on -one time with her. And this was kind of the best way I could do it. Yeah. My biggest mistake as a young journalist was that I did not record it. I typed it. I did not record it. So for years, I kept being like, oh, my gosh, imagine if I had this testimony of hers. And I knew that she had recorded testimony with USC Shoah Foundation. I knew she recorded testimony with Gratz College and their archive. Um, I can't tell you why I never went after it. I think that I was so overwhelmed with information as it was that and I was pursuing this more print version of storytelling, photojournalism, and writing that, I don't know, I just didn't want to add more, more to the pile of information. And then when I realized that USC Show Foundation had a four-hour testimony and began talking with them, and, you know, they sent me the video and sent me the audio file, you know, that's when it was like, oh, we can make a podcast with this. So suddenly it was like getting that was like this piece of magic that opened up a whole other way of being able to tell this story, which was amazing because it totally reignited a fire for me. You know, anytime something new comes into the mix, it's a new way to, it's a new way to think about it. And history has that power. There's always a new way to think about it. And, you know, I was hearing her in this testimony tell the same stories that she had told me personally, the same story she'd written about in her diaries in creative writings in letters home to her parents, but she was telling it differently because she was telling it to a different person mm -hmm. and under a different context. And that was really interesting to me. One of the really incredible things about Hannah, your grandmother, was that 
she always seemed to be a step ahead. Um, she was always like aware and a step ahead of the Nazis. And I'm curious what your impression was of her before you started this exploration uh, and then what you think about her now. She was always a step ahead of the Nazis um, because her parents had the foresight to send her away. Uh, so she was able to escape Czechoslovakia actually about a month and a half into the war. So the Nazis had already occupied uh, Czechoslovakia at that point. She'd, so she'd been living under occupation for a little bit less than a year. And then, you know, when she goes to Denmark and she's living on these farms and then ends up escaping to Sweden, she's one step ahead of the Nazis because strangers saved her. And so really it's because of other people and very much the kindness of other people to help her. Uh, what did I think about her then and now? Well, it's a complicated question. It depends on the day. I mean, my grandmother, as you hear in the first episode, she was just like wacky and this like strong character. And she always wanted to make us laugh. And she was super vivacious and wanted to, you know, she always wanted to introduce her children and especially grandchildren to culture and to arts. And I remember as, as a young kid, she would like try to bring me, you know, to like listen to the opera in the park. And I would like refuse to go and just sit in the car because I was like, a, you know, a punk as a child and didn't want to do it so <laughs> but she was always fun she was always fun and she was always adventurous and she was always outdoorsy and active now that's changed a lot over the years that is all still true absolutely but she's become a much more complex much more nuanced character and what's kind of exciting to me is that I think she will always continue to transform uh, I mean, I started this project when I was 20. I'm 30 now. Uh, I don't think I'm done, especially with all the work I do in the education world with this story. It's probably going to be my life for a while. And, um, you know, but I'm not a mother and I'm not a grandmother. And I keep thinking that, you know, one day if I get that privilege, I'm going to think about her totally different. And, and that's exciting to me is that she's forever transforming, even though she's not here anymore. You talk about September 29th as a date that reoccurs in both your history and Hannah's history. Tell us about the importance and significance of that specific date for you. Sure. So the September 29th thread, as I say in the first episode, is not something that I was aware of until um, the end. So there's a number of historical events that happen on around September 29th, um, conferences that were taking place around those days, warnings that went out for Jews to flee. And then in my own life, it was the day that I happened to relocate to Europe on my big one year of travel when I thought I was going to travel for one year. And that was five years ago when I just got back from Europe a couple weeks ago on another trip. So um, it wasn't just one year. But in 2016, my husband passed away on September 29th. And that it was after that date because, you know, that date will forever be ingrained in my head. It was after that date I started to take notice to this date. You know, when something really powerful happens, you start to pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. And it was like one thing and then another thing. And it was, it just kind of blew my mind and has remained really special. So that's why we actually released the podcast on September 29th, which uh, this year was Rosh Hashanah. And there's some other symbolism in there, which, which you'll have to listen to the podcast to find out. Hannah wrote quite a bit, as you said, and one of the things she wrote that was so beautiful, she wrote about contemplating vulnerability, but as she contemplates vulnerability, she says she thinks of it instead as why you should wear armor. Um, and you suffered a terrible loss when Sergio died, and Hannah was, in a sense, comforting you at the moment that you were in the ambulance with him. What was it 
like? I mean, you immediately thought of Hannah. Did this surprise you? Uh, well, yeah. I'll say I was at the hospital when I started thinking about her in the ambulance. I was, um, I don't know what I was. I was just trying to get get through moment by moment. But in the hospital, once you know, once we, I was told that he had passed away, um, and I was sitting there, and you know, for for as many hours as they would let me stay there with him. Yeah, I started I started thinking about her because one, I was deeply ingrained in her story. We had just gotten back from Denmark a month before where we had celebrated our wedding. We'd been married for almost a year when he passed away, but we didn't do a wedding celebration until about a year into our marriage. Um, and we did it in Denmark on the farm that was owned by the granddaughter of my grandmother's foster mother from World War II. That's episode three. Um, you'll hear that story. And yeah, I, I mean, my grandmother had already at this point, I'd been working on this story for seven years, and she had already laid the foundation for my adult life. Sergio, who was Polish, we had started dating because I relocated to Europe. And he, like, he loved history and he loved the story. I would say, I think he understood what I was doing before I could articulate what I was doing. And so, you know, he, he was part of that story with me. And yeah, my you know, the big thing that I realized at that moment and what kind of took over for me was this idea that I'd been chasing this story about my grandmother who was a Holocaust survivor. And like I said, she was very adventurous. And she told me her story like it was an adventure. That was how she chose to tell me. And something that was quite remarkable about her as a storyteller was that she would change the way she told the story for the audience. So she spoke to young school children. She would speak to them you know, and tell about her life as a young school child because she would want to connect. So I'm pretty certain when she told me her story, she knew that I was, you know, uh, struggling a bit in college and had the travel bug and was moving around already quite a bit. Um, and so she told me an adventure. And I had this moment sitting at the hospital where I realized, wow, I've been telling this story and researching and retracing this story, but I really hadn't lingered with the idea of grief. And I couldn't have. That's not that's not a fault in my journalistic efforts. That was just not something that was accessible to me. And so suddenly after that happened in my life and grief became a big narrator in my life, yeah, I began looking at her story differently. I began reading the same pieces of writing differently and picking up certain elements of it that had um, a feeling of sorrow and a feeling of grief and a feeling of longing. And it just became it became a bigger thread in the story. So pieces like vulnerability, which, which I read a piece of it in the podcast. Yeah, it suddenly it made sense to me. Why do you put on armor when, you know, when sad or happy things are happening, when, when you're carrying something tragic with you? And so it made me think about her as a grandmother very differently. Also, like perhaps what type of armor was she wearing during I mean, she different celebrations? She just left you so many gifts. She left you in history gifts. It's amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like I said, there, there are so many beautiful pieces of writing that I still cannot relate to because I haven't taken on certain identities in life. So she is beautiful. She has this beautiful piece of writing that she writes to her mother on what would be her hundredth birthday about what it's like to be a mother and a grandmother. And I mean, it, that's one of the early pieces of writing that touch touched me deeply, but I also realized I don't understand the depth of it because that's not an identity that I hold. Something I was really struck with in the story is the fact that for Hannah, being part of a Zionist youth movement resulted in her surviving as her work on the farm in Denmark was kind of to set her up in a way to work the land in uh, what was then Palestine. 
Did she feel connected to Zionism after the war? You know, the complicated thing with Zionism that is that the definition and kind of the, maybe not even the definition, but the the ideas around it have shifted quite a bit, especially politically over the years. So I can't, I can't say, mm, I don't know, you know, if I were to speak to what she would say, what, what her feelings about Zionism today would be, I, I don't know, because I think that um, it shifted certainly after Israel was established and, and certainly since then as well. Um, but I would say she always, she, she liked to visit Israel. She supported Israel, but you know, she had an opportunity. Some of, some of the friends that she left Czechoslovakia with did end up making Aliyah and moving. And she had that option. And what she told me after the war was that, you know, many of the displaced persons after the war, after the war who were trying to get to Palestine were not allowed in because of the British mandate. And they, a lot of them ended up being, held and you know in camps in Greece and and you know quarantine and intern in different places and she didn't want that she was like no I'm not I'm not going to be you know for lack of a better word imprisoned in another place I'm not going to have you know I don't want my freedom of movement taken away again and so she had this opportunity to go to America and I I think she did that and she never kind of looked back she was happy with that decision and my grandmother was really good at making the most of where she was irregardless of the circumstances so Politically, I just I can't say, but she definitely had a very special place in her heart for Israel, and some of her grandchildren live there now. The documents and photographs that you showcase on the website, sharethesamesky.com, that supplement the podcast are really remarkable. I'm curious what shaped your decision to have these separate entry points into the story and how they kind of work together as an interconnected whole. Yeah, so... Like I said, I began this project, you know, I, I've been doing this project throughout my whole adult life. So um, that's been the, <laughs> uh, my career has shifted a lot through then. So this project has taken on so many different lives. It, it you know, it, it's been approached as a photojournalism project. It's been approached as a, as a writing project. It's um, has a, a very um, big presence as an educational tool and now as a podcast and soon, soon a book. And there are just so many elements of it. I will say that my photo archive of this project, which includes um, photographs from my grandmother and her archive, but primarily are from things I've I've collected over the years, is over 100,000 photographs. Wow. So, yeah. That was my face. <laughs> and you can't see that, but I went, uh, and I said, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's overwhelming. Um, but, you know, I, I think because there's so many threads and I always say like this project has become like not just this linear story of my grandmother and not just like me meeting these characters that that, you know, are interwoven with my grandmother's story. But I see this as like kind of a big web of stories. And so um, the the podcast will talk about this a bit and you can also find it on my website. But you know, I, I began my, my big full year of travel for this when I subletted my apartment and went on the road and was a nomadic journalist with my backpack was 2014 to 2015. And I'm in Scandinavia for a good part of that. And in 2015, we have the refugee crisis breaks out, the recent refugee crisis. And so you have this massive, like almost unprecedented wave of refugees coming in to Europe. And Scandinavia still to this day is a highly coveted place for these migrants and refugees. And so suddenly it was like I, I was exploring this story of history and I'm seeing the threads, the same exact, the, the feelings, the hopes, the desires. Of course, it's different stories. We're in a different time. They're different people. They come from different places and different situations. But that hope 
of finding dignity and a good life in a new place, even though it's not your home because something tragic has happened in your home, that is happening again. And so that sent me on this like whole journey to work with um, refugees in Scandinavia. And I, I came at this project because I was very interested in displaced communities. I didn't come at it through the Holocaust lens. That's something that's developed over the years. And so all of those stories have also become woven into my grandmother's story because I think it's really, really important to look at history through a contemporary perspective. Um, at least that's my goal. That's what I like to do as a documentarian. So all the projects I've done with the, with those individuals as well have played into this. So, um, you know, it's kind of crazy. I just, I, I think because I have, you know, 85 years of my grandmother's life in, in documentation form, I just find so many different threads that, that connect. So yeah. Anyways, I got away from your original question, which is about all the different material, but you can see how with all that much material, you tangent very easily. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's cool. I would say the, the, the best part of having such a wide breadth of media to work with is that as I've adapted this documentary project for the classroom and I work with students from like as young as fourth grade elementary school level to adult education and people who are of my grandmother who would be my grandmother's age you know everybody learns differently so there are some students who really gravitate towards looking at photographs and looking at identity and the pictures of Hannah's brother and parents and grandparents and they love it that way and then there's students who really take to the creative writings and then there's students who find that the audio is really compelling and I love being able to offer that because it makes history feel very alive. That's something I really loved about this is I listened to the episodes first and then I went to the website and I realized you can go as deep into the story as you as as a consumer of the story want to. You can just listen to the podcast, but then you can go and read all the content. You can look at all the photos. There is so much that you can immerse yourself in. And I thought that was really so cool. So so you kind of, as um, as a listener, as the audience, can experience this in so many different ways and access it depending on exactly learning style or how much you want to get into it. And I, I really thought that was, that was amazing. Thank you. Um, so your work, I mean, this is a really important addition to the history of the Holocaust. Who is the intended audience in your mind for this project as a whole? How do you hope people use We Share the Same Sky? Yeah, well, so, I mean, there's there's a lot of answers to that question. To speak to the podcast, um, when USC Show Foundation and I, you know, decided on this project, the primary audience we created this for is high school students. And so when the last episode is released, which will be in early November, we're recording this a couple of weeks before that, when that episode's released, USC Shoah Foundation, their, um, their program Echoes and Reflections, which is a collaborative educational program between USC Shoah Foundation, Yad Vashem, and the ADL, they will be releasing a whole set of curriculums that go with the podcast. So every episode is going to have curriculums that includes lesson plans, discussion questions, photos, you know, clips of testimony from their archive. So high school teachers have this ability to use it in the classroom. So that is one of our absolutely our, our primary audiences. And we really hope that this um, allows teachers to interpret the history of the Holocaust in a different way to look at its contemporary impact. And, you know, because, you know, we always say that 
you know, the past is not past. It's, it's very much here. It's very much alive. And you can tell that to a student, but we really want the students to feel that. We want them to see it. We want them to come to that on their own. And that is one of the reasons that you do hear a lot about my personal life throughout this project, because it certainly, it certainly changes how I understand history. And I think that's a certain, uh, an important process we all go through, whether we realize it or not. There's also just the general population who I hope will listen. I think that sometimes, um, you know, I'm always kind of surprised how fascinated people are with the history of the Holocaust. Perhaps I take it for granted because I grew up in a family where a survivor was the matriarch of our family. She was very much the head of the table and sort of had this uh, leadership spirit that I now see in her childhood diaries. But certainly it was it was apparent when she was a grandmother for us um, at holiday dinners and whatnot. But I really hope that this, you know, intrigues people who might not know a lot about the Holocaust and help them understand kind of what is still the contemporary impact of it. I had one friend write me after the second episode, which is pretty heavy with history. And she wrote me and I, I absolutely loved this comment. She said to me, you know, I think I thought I always knew about the Holocaust because it's one of those pieces of history you hear about over and over and over again. She said, but like listening to this, like I'm realizing I actually don't really know anything really about it specifically or the details of it. It's just one of those things that you know happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's true for people within the Jewish community, people without. So I, you know, I hope it sparks an interest, but I, I really also hope it, it creates a connection between other events happening in the world today and not just that specific event in history, but it's for everybody. And the last thing I'll say about that is, you know, it's an intergenerational podcast. It's relevant to the granddaughter and it's relevant to the grandmother. And so I'm very hopeful that there is an audience that is family members listening to it together and discussing how differently they perceive and feel their family history. You hear there's a little bit from my mom in this podcast and she goes a bit into, you know, how just different we interpret it and, you know, generation to generation, it makes a difference. And so, yeah, amongst others, but I'll pause there. (laughs) I I do think that 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 second episode where you really condensed the history of the Holocaust and sort of what the Jews in the late 30s, early 40s were experiencing into about five, six minutes. It was incredible. I mean, the way that you talk about kind of how the walls are closing in on them, and it was done so incredibly well. I listened to it like, that's actually the best summary. (laughs) Definitely the best I've ever heard, but one of the best I've read. It was was really amazing. Thank you very much. Thank you. What a compliment. And, and I am hoping to listen to this with my grandmother. I actually was telling her about it. So that's my hope as well. Oh, so wonderful. I will do that family listening tradition. <laughs> it, it's it's amazing how, you know, I, I talk about one of the episodes and I'll go into it deeper in my book. It's the way, you know, my, my mother is very into family history. So is my father. I am very much a product of, of my parents. <laughs> um, and, you know, we went back in the early years of my research, we went back to the to the town where my grandmother was born. She was raised in Prague, but she was born in in a town about 45 minutes from there. And that's where her grandparents lived, so where she would go back to. And we went back and we were there for an event and we were kind of brought in as sort of the, I'll say the token Jews, the proof that there had been Jews here and there aren't any more, but look, they, they were. And, you know, it was, it was great that they were interested in hearing from us, but journalists, you know, Czech journalists like flocked to us, uh, you know, and just were like, what does it feel like to be back? What, you know, and, and my mother and I, you know, we're sitting there together and we had completely different answers. And that was a moment for us. And we still, to this day, I mean, that's over five years ago now, and we still, to this day, talk about that. And I actually, for the 
launch of the podcast, I brought her to Europe with me and we went and she met a lot of the people she had not met in my reporting. Some she had, some she hadn't. And we, I took her to some of the places that were very relevant for her mother's life. Yeah, you know, we, we still talk about that. And it's so important that we feel differently. But it's also so important that we talk about why and what it is that feels different. Yeah. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for doing this amazing, amazing work. And thank you for joining us on The Vibe of the Tribe today. Thank you for having me and for listening and caring. Thank you. Yeah. Looking forward to listening to the last. Yes. The last episode. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. All six episodes of We Share the Same Sky, along with the essays, photographs, and resources, are available now at sharethesamesky.com. Find out more in the show notes of this episode. Listeners, remember to follow at Jewish Boston on social media and subscribe to The Vibe of the Tribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or TuneIn. You can also email us at podcast at jewishboston.com with your comments, feedback, and ideas for future topics and guests. Thanks, as always, to our editor, Jesse, and our composer, Ryan. Ryan.